Okay, there we go. Lord God, we just thank you for this time this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to gather and to uh, look at what you have for us today. I pray that you would guide my words and my presentation as we, we look at Scripture today. And uh, I just pray for your presence here. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, one of the things I, I uh, appreciated about Luke's series, even if it's a very interesting series, uh, and he was, gave me the freedom to speak about whatever even if I wanted to speak about. And so um, the process of what, what should I talk about, um, there, was, there were several things that came to mind when a, when a parent says, I want you to do this even if you don't feel like it. Or I'm going to finish this project even if it kills me. Um, there's a there's a bunch of even ifs that that can be uh, applied uh, and have a sermon message about it. But I was drawn to the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's a very popular Bible story. Uh, we've all heard it uh, probably many times, and it's a powerful picture of God's deliverance and His example of obedience and faith of these three men, the obedience and faith uh, that they had. So why don't we go ahead and look at this story again this morning. It's in Daniel 3, and let me kind of just kind of set, up, set this up for you. In verses 1 through 7, uh, Nebuchadnezzar thought so much of himself that he decided to build a statue, and it says the statue was 60 cubits high. Now, I, I found out a cubit is 18 inches, that's a foot and a half, so that means his statue in our terms today is 90 feet tall. Now, I figure the church, if you're standing outside, is probably 50 feet. Um, I don't know, what, the, what is the Fisher Water Tower? I, I, I didn't do my research before Saturday, so I didn't know who to ask. But I would think the water tower, the bunny water tower, would be at least 90 feet tall. Uh, so when you, when you picture a statue of, of Nebuchadnezzar, a golden statue, let's, let's, let's picture the, the water tower. That's a pretty big image of yourself. Uh, so uh, that's what we have going on, and, and if you remember that this time in history, Nebuchadnezzar was basically the ruler of the world. Um, how many of you are familiar with the cartoon Phineas and Ferb? Okay. And the evil villain in the cartoon is Heinz Doofenshmirtz. And he wants to be the ruler of the tri-state area. Okay. Why the tri-state area? because he wants to start small. You know, that, I thought that was an interesting little, and I don't know, those who you know the show know where that comment come from, comes from in the story of the cartoon, but I'll leave that to that. But generally speaking, characters, villains, want to be rulers of the world, and Nebuchadnezzar basically was that. And he demanded that everyone bow down and worship this golden image at the moment's noticed at a moment's notice when the king's band began to play. Um, so, and if you didn't bow down and worship this statue, you were threatened with the idea of being thrown into a fiery furnace, a gruesome, painful death. Well, Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego did not bow down when the music played, and uh, there were people that noticed, and they went running to King Nebuchadnezzar with this information. They didn't bow, they didn't bow, they didn't bow. 
you know, no one likes a tattletale except for maybe King Nebuchadnezzar. So, uh, we pick up the story in verse 13. And then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and anger, gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, and bagpipe, and all kinds of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made very well. But if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? Now, this is quite an arrogant statement. He's basically saying, okay, boys, I'm going to give you another chance just in case you didn't understand the situation that you're in. I am the ruler of the world. Uh, The power that I have is absolute. And what are you going to... There is nothing that's going to deliver you out of my hand. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, oh, I don't know their tone uh, about this. I I assume it's rather matter-of-fact. And I don't think it really mattered, but, O King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of a blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O King. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O King, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Well, like I said, it's impossible to know how their tone was. Was it one of arrogance? We're not going to bow down. Was it a matter of fact? We're not going to bow down. We don't necessarily know. And I don't even think it really mattered uh, because I think Nebuchadnezzar was going to hear it the same no matter how they said it. And it made him furious. Uh, it said in one, uh, in one version of Scripture that I, that I read that this expression on his face changed. I, I think I know what that feels like. Um, uh, I had a situation that, that happened to me. I, it's very vivid. I remember it like it was yesterday. I asked my three-year-old to put his toys away before he went inside. And let's see if I can capture the moment properly. He stuck his tongue out and stomped away like that. I'm telling you, I covered 25 feet in a second. It was like, uh, you know, that in the, in the movies where you're here and then you're here. That, that was me. I had like superpowers at that moment. God spared your life that day. <laughs> That's how I picture Nebuchadnezzar here. The, the, it didn't matter how they said it. It was a statement of absolute rebellion, and it made him furious. Now, we know the rest of the story. God miraculously delivers them from the fire, and God is glorified. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are held as examples of obedience and faith. Because that God did deliver them from the fire, part of their statement to the king gets overlooked and forgotten. And I found verse 18, to have the most powerful words in this whole story. 
Let me just go back to verse 17, where they begin to respond to King Nebuchadnezzar. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of a blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. And here's the important part in verse 18. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve our gods, your gods, or worship the golden image that you have set up. Even if he does not. If God hadn't delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, would we have known this story? Would this story have been told? I doubt it. I, I doubt it would have been. The statement, even if, reveals a broader and deeper faith. And they were prepared to go, die regardless of what God chose to do. They left the idea that God would be just as glorified in their death as it would be in their deliverance. And that's how I want to understand God. Basically, they said God can deliver, God will deliver, and even if he doesn't, I'm okay with that. I thought of Christ praying in the garden the night before his crucifixion. He was faced with the dread of the coming crucifixion that he was going to face. And he asked in God, is there any way, is there any way I can avoid this? I will do your will even if you don't deliver me from this situation. The story of Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego is a beautiful story of faithfulness to God in the face of persecution. And each one of us would hope that we would face persecution with the same courage and obedience. I believe that day is coming soon. The attitude of dismissiveness toward Christianity and society and the emerging extremes that are outright hostile to Christianity are, are coming our way. A recent study I found very interesting revealed that only 47% of Americans are members of a church, mosque, or synagogue. We are fast becoming the minority in this country. Do you uh, understand the consequences of becoming a minority in a, in a democratic society. I'll leave it at that. That's another message, another story. But uh, let's just say uh, at this point, in conclusion of that point, is that persecution, persecution is a situation that places us in a position of suffering and even death. Even if God chooses not to deliver us, God is still God. And he is also glorified in our suffering and death, even if leaves room and submits to God's, uh, God's will in any situation. Paul says this about suffering and death in Philippians. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will be at, not at all be ashamed, but that full courage now as always. Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So some suffering does come from persecution, but some suffering does not come from persecution. I recently have watched the movie American Gospel, Christ Alone, which reveals the prosperity gospel and the faults that lie within the prosperity of God, the health, wealth, and happiness gospel. You name it and claim it. Many reject and recognize that it is a false gospel as far as God wants you to be healthy and, or wealthy and financially secure. And most people recognize that as being a false gospel. What becomes a little more difficult for us to accept is that God doesn't necessarily want us to be healthy. 
the idea that we suffer and that comes from God. That, that, that gospel preaches the idea that if we just had enough faith, we would be able to avoid suffering. Perhaps the greatest example of uh, the contrary message to that is the story of Job. If you remember, as uh, the story of Job starts out, God is the one who introduces Job to Satan, the most evil being in the universe. I can imagine if Job would say, thanks a lot, God, I'm just minding my own business, just leave me out of this if you don't mind. Um, but that's not how it happened. Soon after God's introduction of Job to Satan, Job loses all of his children. He loses his family. He loses his wealth. And he is covered from head to toe with painful boils. It's hard not to be confused and maybe resentful of a situation like that. And uh, I thought it was interesting as the, as the book of Job goes on, it explains his wife's reaction, his friend's reaction, and, and how Job handled the whole thing. One of the things I found interesting is, is uh, Job's uh, response to his wife. When his wife says, curse God and die, do you still hold fast to your integrity? And Job responds, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. Thank you, wife, for the wonderful comments that you made to me there. Um, but uh, that, in many ways, that's how society treats suffering as the Christian. His uh, friends, El, uh, Elihu, Bildad, and Eliphaz, uh, weren't much help either. They were, to some degree, subscribed to the idea of this prosperity, health, and wealth uh, idea, um, that they blamed Job, certainly you have sin in your life. That's why all of this is coming, so you need to repent. And Job continually said, no, you don't understand. I, I don't have anything wrong. I, I'm, I don't have any problems. I don't have any sin in my life. Um, and so he had to deal with uh, his wife, his friends, pretty much I can see where Job felt alone in his suffering uh, and confused and maybe even a little bit resentful. There is some suffering that is a result of sin or poor choices. Smoking causes lung cancer. Drinking and driving can injure and kill and can result in serious legal issues. Having an affair can lead to a broken marriage and family. Speeding results in fines and accidents. Telling your wife she needs to exercise could result in sleeping on the couch for a while. Uh, that's not the kind of suffering I'm talking about. Um, Job did nothing wrong, he, yet God was using him to glorify himself and drew Job into a deeper understanding of who God is, more so than most will ever experience. Um, at the end, at the end of Job, the last chapter, Job, if I had to summarize Job's comments to God, basically Job was able to say, God, you are God, and I am not. Now that seems rather obvious, Captain Obvious. Thank you, Duane, for that. But as you become more mature in your faith, 
making the comment God is God and we are not has a deeper meaning and understanding. Um, and, and that's what Job eventually came to terms with in his, in his suffering. Job was being disciplined. God chastens or disciplines those he loves with suffering. In Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord or be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves. Job must have said, you must love me an awful lot uh, for the suffering that he went through. He gives the, the writer gives the example of parents and disciplining. For parents, they discipline us for a short time as it seems best to them. But he, God, disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. As parents, we want and pray for our kids to become mature in their faith, to become men and women of good, strong character. But the things that shape us and determine those things are most commonly a result of pain and suffering. We love to tell stories of pain and suffering, labor pains, broken bones, wisdom tooth stories, root canals, Cuts, burns, and surgeries, um, sickness, cancer treatment. And we all, so when we pray for spiritual maturity and strong character for kids, we are essentially praying for their pain and suffering. Since I have the floor, let me tell you about my suffering experience. Many of you may have know about it, and, and I've spoke about it to some degree before. But... Uh, this fall coming up is my two-year anniversary of my Guillain-Barre syndrome experience. And uh, Guillain-Barre is a rare disorder in which your body's immune system attacks your nerves. Uh, the way I can describe it is your nerves uh, have insulation around them, and your body attacks that insulation and, and breaks it down so that it interrupts the nerve impulses to your brain. And so... Uh, that's what I was diagnosed with. Uh, the symptoms usually are weakness and tingling in your extremities. And uh, although I did have some of that, I couldn't feel most of that because of the pain that I had. So that made it hard to, to uh, diagnose. Um, the exact cause of the syndrome is, is, is unknown, but they do feel like that it follows six weeks, somewhere around six weeks after an infection, and there is some attribution to the, the flu shot as well. Um, in the beginning of November, I was diagnosed with mycoplasma pneumonia. And uh, I think it, it's hard to... I was in and out of the hospital so often, I'm not sure I remembered all of the, the details. But I think I chose to stay overnight the first night to get IV antibiotics, said, let's knock this pneumonia out and, and get going. So I think I spent the night to get IV antibiotics, sent me home with what I call baby antibiotics, uh, because in another week I had fever and, and it didn't take care of it, so I was back in the hospital with more IV antibiotics to try to uh, combat this type of pneumonia that I had. Um, the fever subsided. I went home. Um, 
It was recommended while I was in the hospital I get a flu shot. Never had a flu shot before. Sure, let's do that. So I went home, felt great. Well, I don't know about great, but I was feeling better. And uh, the fever came back again after about a week. So I went to the concerned that the pneumonia was coming back. I went back to the ergo care center. I got an x-ray. Oh, you're, you're fine. Your lungs look good. They're being healed. Just monitor your, your fever and, and we'll see what happens. Fever didn't go away. And uh, again, this is where it gets a little foggy about how many times I was in and out of the hospital. But I think I was admitted again at that point because of the fever, uh, the unexplained fever that I had. So I went into the hospital and I was given treatments to lower my, my temperature. Finally, my temperature went down, said, okay, we don't know why, why this was, but you don't have a temperature anymore, let's send you home again. So I went home, and uh, that night I developed around 9 o'clock or so uh, pain in my, in my legs. Uh, just uh, it, it was a combination of feeling like cramps and someone that had taken a sledgehammer to your legs uh, and just left you there to, to deal with it. Um, and I was just... When you're in that kind of pain, you can't stay still. You're just, it just, there is no position, there's no comfort, there, there's nothing. And it lasted all night. And I was like, oh my goodness, what is going on? By morning, it had, it started to subside. And by nine o'clock or so, I felt fairly normal. I was like, okay, this is, this is done. We're, we're good. And, uh, but by evening, it started coming back, and I was like, oh my goodness, this is, this is terrible. And the pain, I, there are people that deal with chronic pain. I, I, I don't know how you, you deal that, with that. That is incredible. Um, but the pain was so excruciating and so constant. In order for me to deal with it, I had to uh, I, I was never taught pain management or anything, how to deal with that kind of pain. But I had to, uh, if, you, if you let that pain take over, Matt, you may know about this kind of pain, um, it will consume you. You, you can't stay still. You're, and, and so for me, I forced myself to take deep breaths and focus just on the air moving in and out of my lungs. And, I, and I, I remember saying to myself, just one more breath, okay. One more breath, okay. Just one more. And you could do that for, you know, when you're just starting to figure this out, you can do it for a short time and then you lose your concentration and, uh, and then you gotta, okay, okay, back, focus, one breath. Okay, and I, I did that all night long. And again in the morning, it started to subside, and it was, it was, it was a relief. The pain was finally gone. Okay, maybe, maybe this is it. The next night came, again, the pain returned. And uh, I tried to deal with it again the same way, and by 3 o'clock in the morning, I was like, there is something wrong this is not right. I, want, I need to go to the hospital, 
but I know if I go to the emergency room, everyone knows the emergency room experience, it will be hours before you receive anything for your pain. But I was, at this point, desperate. I, I need to, something's wrong and this needs to, to happen. Get to the emergency, sure enough, we're going to check for blood clots. And by this time, I had gotten pretty good at controlling my pain. And I remember Jane, so I would be like this on the gurney, and Jane would say, the doctor would come in, okay, moan, groan, tell them, show them your pain, <laughs> so that I could get something for my pain. And uh, eventually, they finally gave me a small dose of morphine, and it didn't do anything. And now, my experience in, of, in, in hospital knowledge, morphine is the pinnacle of, of pain uh, reduction. And so, if morphine doesn't touch this, that is a discouragement, my friends. There, there is no relief coming if morphine doesn't take care of this pain. Um, I was admitted, and they took me up to the room, and I was introduced to the drug Dilaudid. That is a wonderful drug. Um, and it's strange. Uh, the the uh, Dilaudid says, uh, I looked up on, online the actual term, or the, the description of, of Dilaudid is a medication used to help relieve moderate or severe pain. And it works in the brain to change how your body feels and responds to pain. So I could still feel the pain. It doesn't, it, it doesn't address the pain. It addresses your brain. I still felt all the pain, but I didn't care. Uh, that is a strange way to look at pain. Uh, I was still in extreme pain, but I didn't care, and I was finally able to relax. Uh, but the problem with all drugs is they're temporary. And for the first half hour, it's great. And then it starts to wear off, and they can't give it to you right away again. You've got to wait another five hours, six hours. And I remember at one point, uh, Jane, of course, worked on the same floor. That was kind of convenient to see Jane pop in every once in a while. And Jane, I remember breaking down and just crying to Jane and saying, I can't take this anymore. I knew the, the evening was coming. The pain was coming. It was like torture. I was like, I'll do anything. Just tell me what to do. I'll do it. I, I, I just, I'll do it. Um, and that was my experience. After, after days, it did bear off. But through that time, there is the... God, what did I do? I repent of all sin. I will do anything you ask me to do, Lord. Just take the pain away. There is, you're going through the struggle spiritually of what of God is doing in your life. Like I said, eventually the pain subsided, and, uh, but the cause was still unknown. And so I spent four or five more days in the hospital I went through three or four MRIs, dozens and dozens of blood tests, and finally a spinal tap uh, revealed in my spinal fluid uh, a diagnosis of Guillain-Barre syndrome. Today, I'm mostly back to normal. I still have some numbness in my feet. I think I'm stuck with that. Um, that's just a result of nerve damage uh, from the Guillain-Barre syndrome.
Um, I can live with that. Uh, based on what I went through, uh, welcome numbness, that's great. Um, what did my experience teach me? Dwayne, tell us what you learned. What God was showing and doing in pain and suffering. Well, for, for one, um, it's a humbling experience. I know that it necessarily doesn't necessarily should be, but to, to be in pain, helpless, and, and in need of everything is, is a humbling experience. And it may seem like obvious, but that, uh, that we are weak and in need of God's, God's power and control. But how many people do you know of the boast that they've never been sick a day in their life? That is a prideful, boastful thing to say because it's not by your own power or your own will. It is a blessing of God that you are experiencing what you're experiencing. I learned to accept and ask for help. That was tough. Um, I remember asking Kenny and Nate to go pull a boat out of the river that I couldn't, couldn't do. It was going to freeze, and uh, if it didn't happen in the next day or two, for, the boat was going to be frozen in the river for the rest of the winter. So I had to ask for help. I know the value now of seeing a familiar face in the hospital. I remember Christy coming with a care package from the Sunday school class, and I remember Angie and Kenny bringing me a little Christmas tree um, to make it a little more festive in the hospital. I remember uh, a friend Tom coming and visiting, Luke and Dwayne and Mark, uh, my, my uh, brother-in-laws Tim and Phil came, my favorite mother-in-law stopped in. Um, I'm sure there are more, but forgive me, I was under heavy medication, so I may not remember everybody that came. Um, but I learned to know how nice it is to have a connection to the outside. Um, uh, when you feel so isolated. And I think that's one of the things that's so sorry and, and, and uh, tragic about the COVID experience is that those who uh, have to fear, have the, the, the feel of isolation. Um, and the most significant thing is probably the most difficult thing to explain. At some point, I became aware of a piece about my situation and a submission to God, and whatever happened, I still trusted him. Uh, this sounds strange, but realizing I felt that way about God in a situation where I was in so much pain strengthened my faith in him. Uh, in other words, my faith survived the pain, and because I did, I felt this closer relationship with God. To be able to say to God, I still love you even if you don't deliver me, was a validation of my faith that brought joy. It meant my faith was real. It meant my faith survived in the midst of pain. I did not curse God and die, as Job's wife said. And there is, there is strength in that. Like I said about Dilaudid, the medication is used to help relieve moderate, severe pain. It works in the brain to change how your body feels and responds to pain. Just like Dilaudid, in the midst of suffering, the Holy Spirit changes how we feel and respond to suffering. James 1, 2-4 says, I count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. 
For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete and lack nothing. I would never want to go through this experience again. Let me, let me be totally clear about that. Um, it was an excruciating experience. Um, but it, it is, however, the source of one of my greatest joys that God has allowed me to have. Many of you know what I'm talking about. I'm not alone in this. It was just my first experience at it. At the time, the song Mercy Me had became a very powerful and meaningful to me. And uh, I know it did for, does and did for a lot of people who have experienced difficult times. And it captures what I was going through uh, very well. And here are the, the lyrics. Lord, you have been faithful. You have been good all of my days. Jesus, I will cling to you, come what may. I know you're able, and I know you can, save through the fire with your mighty hand. But even if you don't, my hope is you alone. I know the sorrow and I know the hurt would all go away if you would just say the word. But even if you don't, my hope is you alone. It is well with my soul. It is well. It is well with my soul. Let's pray. Lord God, we know that you can deliver. We know that you will deliver. But even if you don't, it is well with my soul. Amen.